Hello everybody, this is Twitchy Max and you're listening to season two of the family-friendly podcast Expired XP. This season we explore the world of gaming through insider interviews, new and retro game specials, and points of view on industry trends. If you like games, this podcast is for you. This week we are talking to Jay Hosfeld, lead animator at Epic Games. Jay worked on Gears of War and Fortnite and talks to us about how characters are born and spills the beans on how those awesome emotes are created in Fortnite. Hello everybody, welcome to this episode of Expired XP. I am Rich, also known as Twitchy Max, and I'm joined today with my brother in controller, Pete, aka Eustace Viking NZ. We are joined by our special guest from North Carolina, Jay Hosfeld, lead animator at Epic Games. Hello. Hey, how are you doing, guys? Great to have you on. We always get our guests to introduce themselves as they know themselves best. So could you kind of give us an introduction and tell us what you do? Yeah, so I am an animator by trade. I've been in the video game industry since 1994. Wow. Uh, I, I started at Epic Games back in 2003. And in recent news, I just recently left Epic about two weeks ago. Um, fantastic place to work. And uh, now I'm just doing some independent animation stuff. Wow, that sounds exciting. That's a big step. You were at Epic for a long time, weren't you? Yes. So the first game I started on there was Unreal Championship 2. And it was a Xbox, the original Xbox Unreal tournament game. And so it was like a third person melee and shooter. Mm. Then right after that, we started on Gears of War. And oh. that became a huge, huge thing. And it was, yeah. it was such a fun game to work on. And we were super proud of that success. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a, actually one of the people that I know. So our little group, and I think we, we, I think I might've mentioned this to you, Jay, we've got a little group of really crappy Fortnite players, but one of the guys in that group, Marcus as well, he's absolutely gears of war obsessed. And actually I should have probably said that to Marcus as well. Cause we did ask them if they did have any questions for you. We did ask them about Fortnite questions. I should have asked Marcus if he had any gears of war questions. Cause honestly, he, he and I, until Fortnite, that was our go-to multiplayer game as well. Like he would come over and we'd play split screen and we'd play any gears of war game that was out what a title how was that experience in in general seeing that series grow to what it's become it was great because honestly when we first started that you know back then epic games was you know well below 100 people and it very much was like an indie title that i think the budget for the first gears of war was like below 10 million so we were super scrappy you know did our own you know, motion capture for the cinematics and we wore many hats. So yeah, we, when that shipped, you know, we were expecting, like we knew we had something really awesome and amazing. Like it just, it was fun to play. And at the time, I think if a game sold something like 2 million units, it was a success. And I remember we were saying like one, one of our leads was like, don't get your hopes up, but we might sell half a million units. And we were like, oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> and then, yeah, it released and it was just like 1 million, 2 million, 3, and it, you know, it hit 6. And at the time, 6 million was, was huge. Wow. Um, and that was on the Xbox 360. And then, then after like just seeing the sales numbers, yeah, you got public with like a Gears of War dev shirt on. And it was like the first time I was signing autographs. <laughs> and it was just cool seeing people's response to it. And even to this day, I'll meet someone who played it. And I have... You know, I talked to a guy two years ago. And he brought up the story of the co-op. He's like, this is what I played with my brother. Mm. And, you know, it got me through some tough times. And he started getting teary-eyed about it. Like, to him, it was such a spe special experience. And so that's what I hear a lot from these, mm. these days when people recount Gears of War. So it was like, oh, man, I played that co-op with my best friend. And so it's just such a special game. 
It, it is. And I mean, and that's actually really funny because so Marcus or angry Mark you, as he's known in the game, as apparently the S was one letter too long for his original username at some point, And he's just kept that. So he's <laughs> all angry Mark you, which we found fun is really funny as well, because he's the least angry person we know. But um, it's actually because he and I worked together, Rich and I worked together before as well. But that was our connection point between me and Marcus was that's how we started catching up together socially was playing Gears of War. And then that kind of became its own thing and, and we'd hang out and play that. And then, you know, it wasn't until the shift to Fortnite a couple of years ago and that kind of solidified our team as a wider team, which is really funny. So now it's just all us mates playing together. But that social connection with gaming is so core to, I think, both Richie and my experiences, even as children, which kind of leads me into a question around that as well, going, so how did, do you remember your first gaming experience? Yeah, so I, I was thinking about that the other day, like, I think games had always been around in some form to where I don't have that memory of the first time, but I think some of my earliest memories were spending the night at a friend's house having a sleepover and they had an Atari 2600 and we would just go through, you know, Pac-Man and Pong and, you know, just all the bleeps. <laughs> and um, so that's my first memory, but we never got a 2600 in my family. Oh. So our first video gaming machine at all, my dad got an Apple 2GS. And it was like one of the first color, I think it was 16 color, no, 256 colors. I forgot what it was. Um, yeah. I should know. But uh, yeah, so we had some games on that. And it was like, there was like this early Goonies game I remember playing. <sighs> um, uh, what else was there? There's like a Black Cauldron game that I remember playing on that. So that was like my first, like, obsessed with video games where I was like afterwards going to like the paint programming one to wanting to recreate those pixel characters. And then, of course, you know, I grew up in the 80s. I grew up in the middle of the whole arcade boom. And nice. so, you know, the middle of the 80s, it was my brother and I, we would go out and mow lawns on the weekends and we'd earn like maybe $10 and we'd go get a lot of quarters and just go play games all day at the arcade. Oh, wow. <laughs> what was your go-to arcade? Oh, man, I had a gauntlet. I think I oh, had gauntlet. Oh, gauntlet. So good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> gauntlet. And then there was uh, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom game that we just, we just spent so much money on. And I have a funny story around that. So my dad was a public school, a public school teacher in Texas. And they don't make a lot of money. Typically, like school teachers have to take on a second job. So my dad would also moonlight, you know, at various other jobs. So he worked really hard for his money. And he came home one day and he was like, how many lawns did you guys mow today? And we're like, oh, man, we mowed all day. We made like $20. And he was so proud. He's like, oh, how much do you have right now? And we're like, we have nothing. And he turned red. <laughs> and he's like, well, what did you do with it? And we're like, well, we spent it at the arcade. And my dad was always a calm, calm guy. But he turned red. He pulled a dollar bill out of his wallet and he tore it up. And he walked us over to the toilet, threw it in and flushed it. And he's like, that's what you did with your money. And he just chewed us out about video games. Well, there, there's nothing valuable in video games. And, you know, he chewed us out. So, of course, my brother, he works for a rep. He's a rep for Nintendo now. And then, of course, I've, I've been doing video games this whole time. So that lesson worked, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, so we, we torture my dad with that story now. We're just like, hey, remember? When you told us uh, the dollar and told us video games was completely pointless and it didn't, it wasn't going to lead anyway. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so funny. It all, turned, it, it all turned out all right. But, yeah, that, that's honestly a lot of good memories around the arcade for sure. 
Did you ever play the, I think the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle one might've been a little bit later, but did you ever play that in the arcade? I remember it being in the arcade, but that's like right as I aged out. You know, if I went yeah. to the mall, it was, it was, was to find the girls. I do remember seeing it. Yeah. Uh, that's so funny. Do you, do you have memories of playing Gauntlet with like three other random people that you, you've, you don't know? Because it was one of the first games that was properly four player, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my arcade, I remember it was like this, it had the stools. So you could pull up a stool and just sit oh, on nice. it. And, yeah. And yeah. And, I, you know, I never got really that far in it at the arcade. It was a tough game. Like, yeah, it was, it was yeah. just a, a quarter sucker. But, um, but then I got that game again on the Nintendo, uh, the SNES. And I remember a friend and I, we spent all summer just blasting through Gauntlet, just two player. So, oh, brilliant. yeah, that, that's still, I love that. You know, I still can hear all the sounds like Elf needs food. Bad Elf food. needs food. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, um, I play it on Endstream quite a bit. It's good fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Jay, it's, it's quite cool because you were saying that early on how you, it made you kind of want to go and create like things like Black Cauldron and, and those games kind of made you want to create and do your own thing. So, so, so how how did you get into your gaming? So, so for me, it was actually a little bit of an accident getting into games or it was kind of like a, a detour that I ended up staying with. So <laughs> I'd say in high school, I really got the bug to do special effects for film. And this is back, this is back before CG. So I wanted to build like the balsa wood ships and styrene and, you know, growing up, my dad also had a hobby shop. So I was always in the back building model kits. And, oh, cool. and my my idols were, um, you know, like Phil Tippett and Dennis Murin, the, the greats from ILM. Yeah, the Star Wars guys. And of course, I grew up as a, a huge Star Wars fan. And uh, that was it. Like in high school, that's, that's all I would talk about with my friends is like, I'm going to do special effects. And um, then... Yeah, my senior year in high school, I think that's when Terminator 2 came out and then Jurassic Park followed with the CG. And I was like, that's, that's it. I, I have to do that. So I actually went to my high school counselor and I said, that's what I want to do. You know, can you help me find a college that has a program? And this is 1993 and there's colleges that have no programs with CG by then because CG is barely a thing. Um so she kind of gave me the bad news. She's like, Jay, there, there's nothing out there. Maybe you could take computer programming or computer graphics, but there's, there's no CG. So then just kind of like a miracle, this, this woman visits our art class my senior year, and she tells us about this new program the Art Institute of Dallas is doing, and it's a pilot CG animation program. So, oh. And it was a 20-minute drive down the road, and it was like one, one of the first ones in the U.S., so I signed up for it. I was the second graduating class. And at that time, there was such a demand for CG artists, especially in the video game field as well, because they were making cinematics, you know, like the, the cut scenes in between the really bad graphic video game part. They would still play these cool little snippet one minute movies. So, yeah, while I was in school, this uh, local startup video game company at the time, it was called KOP Media visited our school. They needed some artists. I submitted my portfolio and I got a job doing, you know, uh, cinematics for the video games. And then I just fell in love with the video game. On the oh, video I was just going to say, so how did that feel when you got that, Hey, you're going to work here. You're going to now be working in, did, was it just, and how did you like your dad react? You mentioned that before. So how did oh, you break yeah. the news to your parents that you were going to work in video games? And you know, I, I remember that went really well, but I do remember the day I told them I'm going to art school and, 
I still thank them to this day. I was like, thank you guys for keeping the poker face when I told you I'm going to art school because I wasn't the greatest artist. Like I was very interested in it, but there were definitely better artists in my, you know, high school art class. And thankfully my parents were like 100% supportive. They showed no sign of doubt. It, you know, so I think that was the harder conversation when I told them I'm going to art school. But once I got that job, oh man, it was I still remember that day. And, and I was like a pizza delivery guy at the time. That was my job. And I just remember I, I still did my final shift that night <laughs> delivering pizzas. And I was telling everyone, I'm like, this is my last night. I'm doing video games tomorrow and I'm so happy. And uh, it, it was ecstatic. I'll never forget it. And then, uh, you know, in K KOP Media, we were around for about a year and then we got bought out by a bigger company, which at the, at the time was a company called Seventh Level. And they were an edutainment company who wanted to get into 3D graphics. Because at the time you had all these video game companies that were still pixel art. And mm. this is like when the CD-ROM just first came out. And mm. so you could put a lot more on a disc. And so a lot of companies were wanting 3D artists. So I went there for a couple of years. And then John Romero from id Software, you, you know, one of the initial designers from Doom and Quake, he and Tom Hall, who was another id founder, started a company called Ion Storm. And I hopped over to there for about four years and we worked on a game called Anachronox and it was the Quake 2 engine. And at that time, 3D artists did everything. I would concept a character, I would model it, I would rig it, I would animate it. And you did it like we were all generalists back then. And of course, over the years, as technology grew and the skill sets became more and more complicated, you know, now you have very specialized group so you have you know you have your concept artist and your modeler and your rigger and your animator and then so from that point i chose like you know i was this generalist but then i found the animation aspect was the part i never got tired of that was the the thing i couldn't get enough of yeah and that's the bit you enjoyed the most how do you actually animate them so you've got you know you've got this concept art that you've given and you there's a model what what's the kind of process that you go through to to animate these either fantastical creatures or these people so Step, step one is always research that, mm. you know, if I give an assignment to an animator on the team, that's the first block of time we give is the research. It's like, go out and find your inspiration. And a lot of times the research is just videoing yourself. So let's say it's like, you know, oftentimes there's something like a sword swing attack move or something. And it's, mm. you know, we'll go out and video that because that's super cheap. You could video 20 of those and 10 minutes, come back, pick the best one or get some notes and go do it again. So that's the first step. Second step then is what we call blocking. And that's where you do a super fast pass, like kind of like a pose to pose where you might get one pose per, you know, every five or six frames or so. Um, and then you, you just get the timing down. And sometimes in games, that's what we'll actually put in the game first. It's this like very blocky thing, but you at least see what the shapes look like on screen. You could fill the timing with the controller. And at that point, you take it back into Maya or whatever software you're using and you just go to town. You just like make it look as good as, as possible. Yeah. Wow. Sounds great. I love the idea of running into my garden and swinging a sword around for fun. Yeah. Every animator you meet has a folder somewhere with a bunch of very embarrassing videos of themselves. <laughs> well, yeah. I was going to say, because as you were saying that, I was going, what if you're crap at sword fighting? And then yeah. you come back into oh, the yeah. studio and your boss is like, Okay, well, that looked like crap, man. Like you couldn't defend yourself in a in a battle. 
it, yeah, it, it's very humbling to see like how uncoordinated you are on video. You're just like, uh, so yeah, sometimes yeah. if it's a move you just can't do, yeah, you'll get someone else. We, we have hired stunt people to come in and sword people. And of course we did a lot of motion capture as well. And mm. I mean, motion capture is great. Cause you can, you can actually start with that as a starting point as well. Um, yeah, true. Is that more common reference. today or is that, is it like, is it more, is it more widely used? It seems more accessible motion capture today. I would think so. Like you still have your purist games and some games art styles. I would say like Ratchet and Clank probably depend a lot more on keyframe because mocap would just look very weird on a very stylized game. But I would say like, say even Gears of War, I'd say like we always started off with mocap uh, as a starting point. Uh, but a lot of times by the time you got something in, it was ended up being like heavily keyframed. But right now, mocap is, it's an easy way to get a lot of stuff in very quickly mm. for prototyping. Mm. So how did you, so where did you move after Ironstorm? What, what, what was the, the progression oh, further out of that? Yeah, so, so Ironstorm was, was good, but there's, I, I won't give a deep story about it here, but you could look up any story about Ironstorm. There's a, there's a book called Masters of Doom that gets into it. So it, it, it was a very fun ride. A lot of interesting stories that happened and, and fallout and that, that company crashed pretty quickly after four years. Uh, so after that, I got a job at a company called uh, Mesa Logic, and they did the stand-up arcade, the Area 51 uh, shooter where you shoot, shoot aliens at Area 51, and that was a huge success for them. And at the time, we were working on a game that was kind of like a predecessor to Guitar Hero, but it was like a DJ booth. So you had this like plastic mixer and buttons and so okay. i was animating the dance crowd so if you if you did all the buttons right and it had the exact same kind of thing as guitar hero with the, the dots coming across and you had to get the beats right and if you did that right all the dancers would just start dancing and more people would join the dance floor and but if you got stuff off beat they would start like dancing poorly and walking off and you'd lose your whole audience and it was it was cool um it was ahead of its time because Guitar Hero hadn't come out yet. And it was like mm. a weird concept to sell a plastic device with the game. That was just weird. So I think we were already, you know, in Microsoft's eyes, kind of not anything special at the time or too risky. But then, you know, sadly, the 9-11 happened and there was a bit of a recession and a lot of game companies at the time closed shop. So that was actually my first layoff in the industry. We, we mm. came into work. Uh, and they basically, you know, gave us a box to had us turn in our key, um, which is kind of common in the game industry. There's a lot of closures and, you know, if a game doesn't hit, sometimes you just have to call it quits and find, find a new place. Um, so that was tough, but I'd say within a couple of weeks, I ended up getting a job at a company called Ritual Entertainment and they, they were working on time. They were working on Elite Force 2, which was like a Star Trek game. And then we worked on a, Counter-Strike Xbox, essentially an Xbox port, uh, which is actually pretty fun. And I think it did quite well on the original Xbox. Um, and then funny enough, the producer on that was a guy named Rod Ferguson, who later on came over to Epic Games as the producer on Gears of War and helped get that shipped. Uh, so it's kind of a small industry. Sometimes you work with the same people. Uh, well, I remember... We have talked to Mike Porter. He was saying that there was a period of time, I don't know, it, I think it might've been somewhere in this period where he was like, he could have either, I think he could have worked with you guys and joined you somewhere, but he chose mm -hmm. the stability, I think that he thought was gonna be the stability of Microsoft. 
And then he apparently got laid off from Microsoft and that didn't work out for him at all. And he's like, oh, and Jay then went on to go and work at Epic. And he was like, you know, that was one of those things where he'd wished he would have done, made, made a different choice, put it that way. Oh yeah. And there's no guarantees. You never know, you no. know, like, and for, for us, it was a huge risk because all those companies that I had worked at to that point were all in Dallas. So I didn't have to move my family around and, you know, it wasn't the most riskiest thing, you know, to take on a new job. But when I went to Epic, yeah, I was leaving my home state of Texas, moving to North Carolina, and we had an 18-month-old baby at the time. So I was, I was leaving behind the whole support system and actually took, took quite a risk at Epic. Mm. Um, but when I did visit Epic, they did show me, they showed me some early builds of Gears of War. And it was like, okay, that, like, I don't know if the game is a guaranteed thing at that point, but oh my God, the, the technology they had and the graphics they were able to do it was mind blowing. So it was, that was the exciting thing that got me to come there. Was it always meant to be in an Xbox ex exclusive? Cause like, if you think about like pillars of gaming, like you could arguably mm. for Xbox, you'd say that Halo and Gears of War are two of those that are just like, I mean, PC now as well, right? But, but like they were just the pillars of Xbox. Like, was that always the case? I don't think so. So, you know, it's fuzzy at this point because this was 18 years ago, but it, yeah, my best recollection is that, Gears of War actually started as an Unreal, a, a, basically a different version of Unreal, where kind of like Battlefield, it was going to be a lot of vehicles and a big open battle arena and where you can get in vehicles. So it actually just started as that. Um, and I think that was definitely going to be for PC at the time. Um, but over time, we got more and more influences. Like we decided to switch to third person. Mm. Uh, and I remember Resident Evil 5 had come out and we really liked that over the shoulder, mm. you know, ca camera view. And then we got, we got more into the horror genre or we, we attempted to. And then, and we had, uh, I think there was another game called, I think it was called Kill Switch that had some like cover mechanic and it was a little bit tough to play. Like the cover felt clunky, but that was, we were like, oh, let's do something like that, but really make it feel really nice to do. And so we kind of didn't have this end vision of what gears would be we kind of had all the ingredients and then gears of war just became what it was due to just the various things we, we put into it if that makes sense like that well like we weren't looking at some other game saying let's make a version of that we just kind of made this this thing that ended up as gears of war and i do know in the beginning we really wanted it to be like a, a scary horror game and one of the first cinematics we showed the company uh, it was where Carmine's gun is jamming and we wanted this scare moment. We wanted like a jump scare where he's like trying to get this gun unjammed and his head just explodes from being shot by a sniper. And so we played the cinematic to the company and everyone just starts laughing. At it. <laughs> and at first <laughs> we were like, we were like slightly offended. We're like, God, they're laughing. This, this was meant to scare them. Um, but then everyone's like, God, that was so great. I loved it. And so I think, you know, what gears, kind of told us it was was like no we're we're not a horror game we're like a campy over the top starship troopers game and yeah and i think like once we embraced that we're like okay we're not good at making a horror game but we're good at this like over the top campy big hearted uh thing that gears was um was that also so, designed because yeah. obviously so in your career what are some of your proud i guess what some of what are some of your proudest characters that you've you've worked on what are, what are some of the things that really stand out to you and you kind of really feel like i did that or i made this character come to life i think looking back 
is I, th I think with anything, like all games always start with like a pitch or a rough idea, and some, some concept. So like nothing is ever fully formed. And so even with Gears of War, you know, for the first year of development, you know, we had Marcus and Dom and, uh, you know, Baird and, but at that point they're just concepts. So you're just like, oh, they're just some meatheads, you know, but then once you get your voice actors and your mocap actors and each animator does their own take on a performance, you know, the cinematic director that, you know, kind of edit something together, the characters kind of come to life on their own. And so it, it's weird because you never step back and say like, I created, created that. It's almost like that character revealed itself to me, if that makes sense. And so you kind of get to know these characters over time. So I just remember the contrast between the beginning of Gears of War development to the end where we had these fully fleshed out characters and you, you know, exactly you know, we used to do this. We're like, all right, if you really know who a character is, you could describe what they eat for breakfast in the morning. And so we're like, what would Marcus Phoenix, Phoenix eat for breakfast versus, you know, Dom, you know, mm -hmm. and everyone can answer that the same. And so you're like, all right, you have a really fleshed out, nice character that then when you make later iterations, you know how they would react to this and you know, you know, how to direct the actors on the mocap floor. So honestly, I, I'm proud of those, that cast of four characters in Gears. They're a great team, right? There's there's like a cohesiveness around them and a sense of history. And I think that's very mm -hmm. cool when you're creating characters that you can, you understand that they relate to each other. They can even have like in, like inside jokes that I might not even get as a, as a player, but I get that they get, they've got something shared that I don't know of, which is cool. So mm -hmm. I kind of get to peek into their shared world as well. Is that, is that stuff that you guys really think about a lot? Like how do we contextualize their relationships? Because it kind of sounds like you're saying, you know, you kind of know them really well. You, you do, but it, it, some, it doesn't come from a cerebral place sometimes. It kind of just comes from a just, you just kind of know it after a while. Mm -hmm. like, and for instance, there, I think it was in Gears of War 2 where they're in the giant rift worm and they chainsaw their way out of the stomach and they just pour out in a big pool of blood. It's just over the top amazing. Um you know, and the script has the lines of dialogue, but it doesn't tell you what the characters should be doing. So, but by the time you get to a scene like that, when we're bo motion capturing the actors, we just know like Marcus is on the comm. He's not, he doesn't care about the blood. He's just down to business. He's, he's talking on the comm with blood all, everywhere. It's kind of funny. You know, Cole was out keeping lookout. No, sorry. Dom was doing lookout because he's kind of, you know, Marcus's sidekick buddy. But Baird and Cole had, kind of a close relationship. So they were actually kind of like helping each other pick out all the guts. <laughs> and so like you see them in the background, just kind of turning each other around, like getting stuff off their equipment. And so like those little magical things happen. And then, so, you know, Gears of, Gears of War 3, when we were interviewing new writers, um, I forgot the writer's name, but she came to us and she's like, yeah, I saw this scene where, you know, Cole and, and Baird were helping clean, clean the guts off. She's like, it's such a small moment. But seeing how they related to each other, she's like, that just filled it in for me. And so it's just these little little decisions that end up being bigger things down the road. That, so, yeah, to me, that's, that's the amazing part um, about it. And we, we tried, to, you know, with Paragon, which was the game we did almost immediately after Gears of War Judgment. We did a MOBA called Paragon, where it was very character-based. Each time you had a new character, you know, they had their own backstory and world. Um, and we tried really to get deep on on character, but since we didn't have character interactions with each other, it's very hard. It's hard mm. to get contrasting characters with, with each other. So I, I feel like Gears of War was kind of like the peak of where we really solved solved that. 
And so, because I mean, Epic is a really fascinating company, like in many ways, because you've got this extremely powerful engine that, uh, you know, obviously is licensed out. I just read now that the new Witcher game is going to be based on Unreal 5, which is really cool. I'm personally very excited about it. I think it's a great uh, step maybe for, for someone uh, like, I'm going to say CD Project Red or Project CD Red. I can't remember. There's Red and there's a project and there's CD in there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> in whatever order. I mean, so you've got this massive like undertaking and I've seen me and Richie, I mean, Richie's uh, in a different level of it because he kind of does his own little little games in Unity. That sounded really derogatory. Oh, sorry, Richie, I didn't mean to be- They are little games in Unity. They are little games. Yeah, Yeah, they are. But But anyway, but but like, uh, but we both, like we look at tech demos for Unreal and stuff and it just blows our minds. So you've got that side of Epic and then you've got this like really gritty kind of Gears of War, which to your point, a little bit over the top. I mean, even the character models are quite funny, right? Because they- they really are like they're just they're, like, they're, they're muscles on muscles on muscles. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. You're just like no one looks like this, apart from maybe you know uh, David Bautista or someone who I've heard wants to play one of the characters if there ever is a Gears of War TV show or, or, or movie. Which mm. I would feel very honoured if I was you to know that there are people mm. out there that want to play the characters. And then you have things like Fortnite, which it just feels like such a like is it. Is it completely different teams? Because they're, they're, they're so, I guess the thread is quirkiness maybe, but it just seems mm-hmm. like something like Fortnite has got such a different personality than something like Gears of War. So how does that happen? Yeah, yeah. Believe it or not, the teams are very, very much like a lot of the same people. But, you know, again, this was years ago. Like, so Fortnite was actually in development for six or seven years before Battle Royale came out. So it started off as a very quick game jam three month project, and it was essentially going to be a horde mode. Like at night, the the horde comes out, and during the day, you can gather up all your resources. So it's very much we're just going to take Gears of War horde mode and have like a more cartoony game. Um, but yeah, at the time, you got to imagine we were all doing Gears of War for like eleven years, and as much as that art style was cool, we were just sick of it. We we're just just <laughs> it, it was heavy and. As artists, you always want to try new things. So yeah, we, it was kind of a palate cleanser for everybody. It's like, hey, let's let's do some stylized stuff. And I would have, I would say like the first run at all that was was pretty grotesque and not in a purposeful way. <laughs> it was just, you know, you have to have this thing called appeal. Like things have to look appealing. So you can stylize yeah. stuff all day long, but if it's not appealing, it could be pretty off-putting. So I, I think our first pass is pretty off-putting, and and over time we actually did add new talent to the team from you know other studios and it seems like each time we got someone new they added something fresh to fortnite that we as the old dna couldn't pull off so i'd say like six or seven years later we had this like really cool style um you know very appealing and it and you could look at it and it read like you got it like yeah that's very fortnite style like the color palette um and yeah we had to hold back on the complexity you know because the artists were just used to like gilding the lily you know just getting in every detail and Fortnite, it was more about restraint it's like hey what 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 do you need and nothing more i mean it's uh, been interesting for us right because so i so, so our story is how our little group came together please if this is crap richie let me know if this is not how you remember it but basically i started playing it with my uh he's actually my brother-in-law my, my um 
my fiance staff uh, has a uh, has a half brother who's uh, significantly younger. He's 13 this year. And he and I started playing it online a bit and I, and it was really fun. Uh, there were some moments when he, when I was playing with him and his mates where it got too much because I'm playing with like 13 year olds and then it's just me and they're kind of, you know, going through what you do when you're 13 and I'm like 38, 39, 40 something. And it just like didn't really work. So I think I managed to convince, I think Richie, you and I were the first ones that started playing it for memory. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> And I kind of convinced you that this was not just a kid's game. I think you, I don't think you were even a I never thought it was a kid's game. I was, yeah. um, you know, I, I've got four kids, so I'm, I'm down with kids' games. And I've spent Your my kid- entire life playing kids' games, so that's never been an issue for me. But no. it's, it's, I love the cartoon feel um, of, of Fortnite and the lack of seriousness. Yeah, you know? same, right? And that's what I had to sell Marcus on, which was the hardest sell, because Marcus was Gears of War. So he and I were Gears of War buddies. And then, so I think the next sale was Marcus. Like, Marcus, do you want to play some, you know, Fortnite with me and Richie? And I think the things that we've all loved with it is the lack of seriousness. Like, just what you said, Jay, the fact that it was so different. Even when, uh, so our newest team member now, Nick, uh, when he talks about it, because he compares it to playing COD, uh, Warframe and stuff like that, is like, he stopped that because it was so serious. It was so hard. You just get killed all the time. There was no... He didn't find the joy in that. It's really hard to find the joy. Whereas we just love the quirkiness of it. We love all the stupid characters. Mm-hmm. I, in particular, spend way too much money in Fortnite. I know you do as well, Richie. But like we just, as soon as there's a new skin that we even remotely love, we buy it. And then it's kind of like, and then we get the battle passes and stuff as well, which is yeah. crazy, right? The amount of money the, I've taken. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear about how the emotes are made as well, because they're kind yeah. of a key thing in Fortnite. And there are so many different emotes. It's, it must be great getting like actors to come in, you know, someone, someone somewhere was the person who did the motion capture for motion capture for flossing, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, so that's, you know, when I talked about video games and whether they use motion capture or not Fortnite in the beginning, they were like Pixar. It's like no, no motion capture was used. Oh, Oh, wow. So, so yeah, for, I would say even to this day, the vast majority of emotes are hand, hand keyed. So that's oh wow! Yeah. No, that's no, almost a shame to hear, actually, because I'd love it <laughs> for someone somewhere to be the person who did the original floss in Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, it's it's the animator. They just did yeah. it one keyframe at a time, where they have a video of themselves. But yeah, yeah so, brilliant. You know, in the beginning, you know, because emotes have always been kind of a common thing in games, and in the beginning, it was just a grab bag. We we were like, all right, we need more emotes, um, because you know the default emote. Fortnite, uh, yeah, it was uh, the the clap and arm thing. Um, so that was the only one. And so, like, once Battle Royale hit it big, that was the first thing all the animators did. So we all just jumped on and started doing emotes, and we just pulled from any reference, any reference that was just in our head. So, you know, there was like that excited dance that they did on Seinfeld, where they have their hands over and they they kind of do the feet stomp and, and, and do the turn. Oh, oh yeah, um, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, uh, so I remember assigning that to a guy on my team and he's like, Hey, what should I do? And I was like, let's do some excited emote. And he was like, do you have any ideas? So we just kind of Googled like excited dance. And of course, like that's the first thing that pops up. I'm like, yeah, I do this. So, you know, two weeks later, it takes about a week or two to get one of these done. Uh, he, he gets it done and it goes out into the wild. And then I'm watching like a local college football game. Uh, I forgot what team guy gets a touchdown and he does that emote you know like <laughs> so suddenly we're watching like pop culture reference Fortnite, and it was 
the most bizarre, coolest thing. Uh, I was just yeah. gonna say because that's that gone must all make the way to so good. Yeah, because that's gone all yeah. the way to the NFL, hasn't it? Like you actually now have. I, I know that there were like there were so many different sports, like football stars and everything, doing emotes from Fortnite. Was that yeah, surreal? The- there was a time period where it was absolutely surreal there. Like very early on, my family we went to went to Disney world and in Florida and we went to this, this hotel. It's like a Hawaiian theme. And they were going to have a luau with the, the uh, traditional Hawaiian dancers and stuff, but it, but it rained so they couldn't do it. So they're like, we're, we're sorry about your dinner show. However, we're going to have a Fortnite dance off. So every kid in the audience come up here and just do Fortnite dances. <laughs> and so my wife and I are sitting there with the kids. And of course, my kids are embarrassed because I think no matter what, a kid's going to be embarrassed of their parents, like yeah. no matter what they do. And uh, so my parents are there covering their eyes like, oh, God, they're doing Fortnite dances. And my wife and I are just like, what is happening? Like there's Disney itself is is asking kids to do Fortnite dances. Um, so that was like super cool. And so in the beginning, though, there were so many grab bag things to do, so many cultural references. But after a while, done them all like there's there's no more flosses there's no you know so yeah now we actually partner with talent to come in whether they're an already famous dancer and they come in and and partner with us to create the dance and in those cases i think sometimes we will motion capture it i think but i'm not i'm not certain and and so with because obviously you've included some properties. I mean, and 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 the, the listeners can't see this, but Jay's got an amazing array of, of Star Wars items behind him, as do I, uh, as does Richie. But uh, he's got a Nintendo background right now, but that's all good. Um, but so, how did it come around with the licensing in of like properties like Marvel? So how it works is it's almost just ad hoc. Looking back, you're just like it just works. Like that's the magic of Fortnite <laughs> is no one has expectations of how it should work. So cool. I think, I think, I think there's just this magic formula that where, where it works, but why, what I love about it is like, I think Epic's really embrace that and they, they use mm. it a, as a way. Um, cause, cause I guess on a related, uh, related topic is just the cross play, you know, before mm. Fortnite, Xbox players had to play with Xbox players and PlayStation and, one thing Tim Sweeney wanted to do is just tear down that barrier. So I think Fortnite was one of the first products that Tim Sweeney went out and just convinced these people like, hey, the gaming world will be better off if you tear down these these walls with crossplay. So I think there's always been this like, let's all just get along, even though we're different, you know, consoles and different IP properties. Like we're all better off if we could just kind of all play in the same sandbox. And so, uh, you know, obviously it's, works very well and i love playing a game now where yeah there's you got boba fett next to groot next to an alien <laughs> yeah next to mike lowry it's it's great and the thing is I, I never imagined like when the person who's coming up with the mandalorian and how he looks they never thought that that mandalorian would floss <laughs> right. it's just like yeah. the branding doesn't work together you know the the concept but it's great that you stick him in for you, you see these characters in Fortnite, and you can have the mandalorian next to fabio sparklemane who's one of my favorite characters right he's fantastic and they can hang out and do all these crazy dances and emotes together it's it, you wouldn't think that that you know the brand owners would love that but no that's, it just that's works. exactly it right it i would have thought that someone like dc would have been like we're not having batman do the uh do the dance monkey emote because that's just not something batman would do but clearly they're just like fine let's batman yeah do I, I, I think you eventually hit a threshold where 
you know, maybe the first few people that put their IP in Fortnite were like, oh man, we're taking a risk. But I think at this point, it, it's why wouldn't you, you know, now, now I think it's a very common marketing strategy for new products to work with Epic. Oh yeah. We've seen Uncharted. We've obviously seen the spider movies come in. So it, almost, it has become almost like a, a, as much as it is a game, it's also like a, a, a marketing channel for movies sometimes or a new album or the cynic in me is like, you know, do I, do I really like that? But then at the same time, like to Richie's point, when he's yeah. dancing with his Fabio sparkle main, and I'm flossing mm-hmm. away with, like, with Mando. We really don't care, do we, Rich? <laughs> no, we yeah. don't. And I like, I like that because it's such a cultural phenomenon, I like the fact that it's part of the real world to a certain extent, you know, like Ariana Grande doing concerts, you know, that just that linkage is, is, is great. I like it. Yeah. It's, it's some things just in Fortnite, just, just beg for it. So I know when Fortnite was first a big thing, a lot of us would go out to a honest, proper concert we would all come back to epic like we have to do a concert Fortnite. like that is just begging for it with people getting to do emotes and you know how fun it is and you know it's easy enough to build a stage get people on it so the one question that i did because i did ask our Fortnite team uh, and we've gone we go through different names all the time because we feel like we're getting better so we started off being we who are about to die salute you because that's how crap we were. So very kind of gladiator references. And then we've been like dad's army, which is a nod to like a really bad home guard in a UK TV show. And then we were Blackadder's boys uh, referencing the Blackadder TV show again, ab- absolutely inept. And we are now extre- we're the league of ordinary gentlemen because we've realized we're not, <laughs> we're not good enough to be extraordinary gentlemen, but we're league of ordinary gentlemen. But one question that they did have was how do you actually choose what to do because now you know we've just gone into this new uh, season now where we've seen the changes where no builds uh, are allowed which is we thought we would love and we kind of do but then there are parts where we love to build so we're kind of a little bit uh, fractured on it and then we see the mantling we love and you know the speed bursting and we were all hoping that that kind of stuff stays around but all the crazy ideas how how do how do you sort out which ideas go forward and which ones get left behind Man, that's a, that's a great question, Ed, and that is the hardest question to answer. So I think you know on the on the story side, it kind of gets back to the Gears of War thing. After a while, it starts the rules of the universe kind of congeal, and you kind of can start predicting what's going to come next, like especially with the, the story thread. Um, but when it comes to gameplay, uh, we really have just a lot of great key designers, and these are the original. Some of them are the original people from Gears of War. They're very like gameplay feel good focused so i think anyone can pitch you know some some things like mantling um or melee or something and then yeah you have like these smaller groups that just go you know a team of three or four or five people work on it and generally they succeed usually it's really fun and we just kind of throw it out in the wild and and hope for the best and that's the other thing cool thing about fortnite is sometimes you throw something out there that people don't like as much and you could throw it back in the vault so oh and that's an interesting um, one because we definitely i mean we are we love the game i'm not going to say that there haven't been bits where we've been like uh, you know aggrieved or slightly annoyed at something that's happened in it because of course you know it's a massive sporing game and we're not always the target audience i'd say we're actually very not the target audience i might be wrong but you know it might be men in their 40s plus that is the target audience for the game but <laughs> somehow i don't think so but i guess uh, you know kind of going going back to the the core of it because obviously the 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 battle royale is now the big part but there was there's also like the 
the other mode of it. And, and so like, so how does, because obviously the focus now is very much on the battle royale. Is that, is that kind of, is that, <clears throat> is that kind of how you see it continuing to play out? Yeah. I think battle royale is, I mean, that's where everyone's going and that's, that, that's getting the focus. There was the save the world mode. That was the original version of it. And it's still alive and still has, has an audience, but battle royale, that's, that's the just juggernaut. And then, of course, you have Fortnite Creative that has that allows people to make their own mini games and islands that they can invite friends to, and that's another part of Fortnite that actually has a pretty pretty big community. Cool. So I think we'll stop talking about Fortnite because we could talk about Fortnite for the entire show. I'm pretty sure, but I did. We had had a few other customers we want to uh, check with you as well, and and I think you might have touched a little bit on this. But so, what in your view is some of the best and some of the worst part of being in the game industry? So. The best and the worst is probably kind of the same thing. So, so the best is you get to do something you love and you're passionate about. It's your hobby. You know, so for me as an animator, like what a dream, like I get to do that for a job and you know, it's super, super fulfilling. And I know a lot of people don't get to work in a field that they feel that motivated about. Um, but the, the other side of that coin is you can also put your self-worth on, on your, what you create. So the times you fail, you take it harder, you know? So like back when I was a pizza delivery guy, if I was late with pizza, I didn't beat myself up about it. I was like, oh, well, you know, but as an animator, if I do an animation that's not great, or if I, you know, ship a game that wasn't well received, you take it like, that's your identity. You're, I'm an animator and I failed. So yeah, you put this, this kind of mental pressure on yourself too. And there's a lot of exhaustion with that. Um, do you have any particular Possibly. moments for that for that bad one? Do you have any particular standouts that you that with something where you really thought it was going to go well and it didn't that really stand out? Yeah, so you know, like I would say the, the project Paragon was one of those. Like we were, it was very fun to work on. Um, it was a MOBA. It was it was a MOBA, and a lot of us were not fans of, of MOBAs, uh, or we were, but we didn't understand them as deep as we should have. Um, and so that game didn't succeed and we eventually you know once fortnite hit it big we just why would we continue putting resources in the paragon so yeah letting that project go was was pretty tough um and honestly other things are usually generally kind of smaller things but yeah you might be in dailies dailies is where you just show any art piece in its current form to get feedback because you want you want feedback from people so you get it in time so you have time to pivot and fix it um, and that's always, that's always tough. They're like you'll show mm. something, you think it's a great idea and no one gets it. And those are the times where you will just go back and you're like, yeah, I'll go back to my desk and I'm like, man, am I even an animator? <laughs> like mm. if I just been, I guess it's a, people call it a, a imposter syndrome or whatever. So yeah. sometimes, sometimes you just get these, these doubts. Um, it's super, super common in the industry. Like even at a place like Epic working on something amazing, more than 50% of the people are probably suffering from imposter syndrome on that project. Um, so that, that's like the tough part. I have to say, I've been super lucky at my time at Epic because Epic always manages to succeed. You know, they're, they're very good about pivoting, trying new things and taking risks, and it generally pays off. Whereas, you know, prior companies I'd been at either didn't pivot in time, you know, every prior game company I've worked at, they're no longer around. They, you know, they're all extinct. Um, so there are a lot of failures 
industry. Do you think, yeah, is that the secret sauce with Epic? Is it the ability to pivot and change when, because uh, like from reading a little bit of Fortnite's history, it seemed like the Horde mode or the first mode that you were talking about wasn't that successful. And the Battle Royale kind of came as an add-on. Is that correct? It did. It was, it, by definition, it was a, it was like a pivot. It was just a, like, hey, let's try this. The, the other mode's doing okay, but we could probably do something different. So they tried it. So yeah, I would say Epic's secret sauce is, uh, you know, a lot of talent. Like everyone there is just talented and it's actually just a good group of people. So people aren't afraid to fail. And I think that's, that's the key is you'll take more risk and try new things if you're in an environment where you're not going to get punished for, for failing. Um, because yeah, we, we have tried a lot of things at Epic that didn't work out. Of course, no one hears about them, but we just try something new. So yeah. I'd say that's a good way to describe describe it. One thing I just wanted to point out as well, which we've appreciated and seen obviously with the last season was the charitable donation for the Ukraine cause as well, which, you know, I think speaks a lot about a company kind of really, you know, willing to step up on something that could be potentially quite tough. You know, those things are never easy uh, to take a, a stand on. And obviously a lot of the world has. Um, but I think to kind of put your money where your mouth is, quite literally put your money where your mouth is and go, actually, this is something that we feel strongly enough about that we're going to do X, Y, Z to me. I really appreciate that in companies. I think a lot of people do. Yeah, in indeed. Like Epic has, they're continuing to add the charitable giving on, on their end. And, you know, they do very generous matching. Uh, they they uh, encourage everyone to take time off uh, each year to, to put to a cause. Um, and like you bring up the Ukraine thing, it, it's tough as when you're a big company like that, you could pick a great cause everyone believes in and you, you donate to it. But then you get everyone else like, well, how come you didn't donate to this, this, and this? So you, you always end up angering someone by being charitable, which is this weird catch 22. So, mm. you know, I think, and I've seen that. I saw, I saw a response to Epic's, you know, Ukraine charity with, with people like, well, how come you didn't donate to this or this? It, so mm. it's tough, but I really admire Epic for like charging forward and doing what's right. So yeah, it's great. And I think one thing I'm interested in is obviously, you know, you said you, you've, you've kind of wound up at your time at Epic and, and you're kind of moving into something new. Uh, but I guess more generally, what excites you about the future of gaming? What excites me about gaming is kind of what has happened to other media is you know used to if you wanted to make a short film you needed minimum tens of thousands of dollars just to develop 16 millimeter film you know but now anyone can make a film and same with music and but games have always had this high barrier to make a game so to me it's this world where some friends over a weekend can at least put together something really fun to play and then grow grow an audience and and just like we've seen with media, with like television shows and streaming services, it definitely divides your audience up. Like you're no longer going to have half the world watching the final episode of MASH, but mm. you are going to get, you know, a thousand different, you know, groups of people playing a thousand different games, but they're all like passionate fans of that. And so you've seen that with TV shows um, and it's definitely happening with indie games, but I think that'll continue. So that's what excites me. It's more the barriers are just going away. Mm. Um, and then the other thing is like, for me, you know, at first I was, uh, you know, I thought like stuff at VR, like VR quest was cool. Then I was like, Oh, it's just a gimmick. But now I'm back to thinking it's cool <laughs> because people like the quest two came out. That's actually, uh, 
has had a lot of success. So I think just different ways to even play games is exciting as well. And of course, like Pokemon Go, that was such an out of nowhere yeah. thing. Um, yeah. So to me, it's just like, who knows? Like I've, I have no idea what's coming, but you know, it's going to keep on. It's going to continue because it, games can be anything like, mm. and, and they are, they're like, I think the game industry made more money than film and music combined. Mm. Yeah. It's massive, right? So, so I guess in your, in your amazing kind of geek cave, what games do you play these days? Uh, so let's see right now. I'm well, like the rest of the world I'm playing, um, uh, Elder Ring. <laughs> uh, so let's see. I just played the new Guardians of the Galaxy game, Warner Brothers game. That was fun. That was good, uh, wasn't it? It's great. Yeah, I was impressed. It had a little bit of a slow start for me, but then once I, I got into it, I just kept kept on playing. Um, oh, the new Ratchet and Clank. That was beautiful. Like as an animator, that was just fun. Yeah, it's, I'm a, I'm a, it's a breathtaking game that when, when I first saw the gameplay and played it, it's just amazing how they uh, flex the engine there to just make it so rich and full. You know, it's, it's just like pipes straight into your eyeballs. It's amazing. Yeah, I'm still yeah, hoping absolutely. to get Marcus Smith on, on the podcast because he and I do email quite a lot and uh, I, didn't, I haven't convinced him yet, I think, or he was too busy last time I talked to him, but I'm keen to have him on so he can talk, talk to us about Ratchet and Clank because I thought that was an amazing game as well. Oh, yeah. No, that was amazing. Um, yeah, I think that's, okay, I've played a lot more, but I think those are the ones that stand out. I have the yep. new, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn ready. I just haven't started that one. Me and Pete have been playing that. It's really good. Really great story. Absolutely love it. If you've got time, you should listen to our podcast episode, Why Elden Ring Sucks, because both me and Pete hate it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so, we- yeah, no, I, I, I will say that I, I've never been like... Dark Souls, or I've I've never enjoyed that kind of gameplay. I've been frustrated by it. And Elden Ring, I've sunk in maybe forty hours, and yeah, it's it's a I hate this, but I'm gonna try again. So yeah. like, we can't, we just know. can't do it. We can't do it. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think we, we're, we're allergic to the grind, aren't we, Pete? We're we allergic can't. to the grind, and and it was I think we really wanted to play it co-op, and the reality is the co-op's not really a co-op, but <laughs> but we have been playing Horizon not together, obviously, but Horizon Forbidden West, and that is just. Amazing! Like what a yeah. stand, what a standout game. Like the 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 environment and the story and everything. I love the first one and the second one. I find is compelling as well. Oh yeah, love the first one. And the only reason I haven't played the second one is I want to make sure I have like the time set aside for it, so I give it a proper run because it it is is one of my favorites. The, the first one. Yeah, uh, it's it's amazing. Hey, um, hey, Jace, thank you so much, Richie. Did you have anything no. else that we could ask no, you about. i mean I'm what good. what an amazing treat for us eh? like to get to talk to somebody who's worked on the game that we spend i don't know i don't even know like how many how many games we play a week richie and bearing in mind we work and everything else right but i think we play yeah. eight we play eight. at least at least two or three hours of Fortnite together a week which yeah, is quite easily. yeah consistently yeah, um consistently. so yeah we do we put the hours in yeah not the skill but the hours yeah <laughs> right i'm with you there no I, I play i play it quite often as well and epic you would think they give us all the free v bucks in the world buy stuff but they actually want us to spend our own money so they know what kind of skins we gravitate to just like anyone else so yeah i've sunk thousands of dollars into fortnite like, I, don't think any other, I don't think any other game has come close to what i've spent on fortnite it's amazing for us it's such a social occasion for us you know we all get together and we just give uh, people we give each other crap like that's the the fun of the like for us being in that environment and being able to do that is the perfect kind of end of the day for us so 
So a big thank you from us to the team at Epic for Fortnite. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, let's, let's, let's squad up some time. We'll, we'll make it work. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yes. That'd be awesome. <laughs> cool. cool. Well, good talking to you guys. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks, Jay. We really, really appreciate it. Amazing chatting to you. And we should definitely uh, get some squad time in Fortnite. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on your podcast platform. As it's May the 4th soon, our next episode is going to be an exploration of the light and dark side of Star Wars games. From Commodore 64 Death Star Trenches to the Battlefront series. See you next time.